Okay, welcome to Fruiting Body Podcast with your host, Brendan, and we are from Phuket, Thailand. Fruiting Body is a medicinal mushroom company. Products coming out soon. We've actually restarted up since the current situation kind of hit us down as it did to everybody else. We have a special guest coming back with us today. I don't know why I talk like a radio host on these fucking intros, but it is what it is. It is Mike Malott. Uh, we're sponsoring Mike. He was one of our, well, he is our only sponsor. Um, we jumped on him. I saw him at Cage Warrior with a delicious uh, rear naked choke. I said, this guy's going to be a fucking legend. And it's gone exactly as planned. He's gone on to the Contender Series where he took out another huge prospect. And then he got his first um, main UFC pay-per-view where he was on the uh, main event for the prelims um, with a vicious knockout on veteran mickey gall so without further ado we're going to get this started and shoot it over to mike and we're just going to talk a little bit about his prep for that fight what went on and what are the next steps for him if you want to watch a more in-depth uh background into who mike is you can check out the first podcast we did and we'll throw a link i don't know hans will toss it around there something like that um okay shoot it over to mike Okay, hey, Mike, uh, we, we got a funny little setup here. We got cameras all over the place, so I'll try my best to focus on what I can. Um, so, for, yeah, I know it's it's probably 9.30 p.m. You're you're in London right now, yeah? Yeah, I'm in London, Ontario right now, back in Canada visiting my girlfriend. Just, I came out here to take the week off training, and then <laughs> this morning or this afternoon while she was at work, I snuck off to Adrenaline Training Center and trained with uh, Mark Hominick, so... Taking uh -oh. the week off didn't fully pan out, but hey, it's been like a, a light week. I didn't train until Thursday. That's the first time I've done that other than having COVID, you know, in probably 10 years. So <laughs> how was the, how's the diet going? Cause after, after these fights, I mean, you're cutting some serious weight to get down to 170. Um, how do you stick through your diet after that? Or are you going straight into pizza and burgers and, and maybe Harvey's? No, to be honest, like I like the food that I normally eat. I, I don't cut a ton of weight for welterweight anymore. Uh, since moving up from lightweight to welterweight, it's, you know, it's still a decent cut. It's still not a fun time, but uh, I like what I eat. So I've been eating pretty healthy. The worst thing for me is like, I'm not on my, my schedule and I'm just a creature of habit. So when I'm on my schedule, I'm eating my breakfast at the same time, lunch, dinner, all this stuff at the same time. And now it's like, I'm sleeping and I don't have anything to do in the morning. So I'm not eating till like, noon or one so that i'm like pigging out eating like not crazy unhealthy things but just a ton and then same thing for dinner and then i've just been having like we've been sneaking off to bakeries and like the grocery store and getting like those custard tarts and oh, like yeah. real real good stuff i'm not eating like cheap desserts man i'm going big yeah it's it's hard like uh i've been doing a i got back on a diet where basically it's uh big salads like intermittent fasting big salads for lunch and then dinner is pretty much just like pumpkin sweet potato and you know meat and a little veg stay away from the breads but man five days into these diets like you're craving bread because that's what we grew up on right i mean every dinner was like a loaf of bread um typically like what is your diet though like during training camp or just you know what are you usually eating um so i have a fairly strict diet that i follow um year round I, i'm a pescatarian i haven't eaten meat in uh about nine years so i don't eat meat anyway and then i try to stay away from like most dairy i try to stay away from like refined sugar eat like a limited amount of bread and pasta but I, i'll i'll 
eat that like bread, pasta and oats. But for the most part, I try my best to just eat like whole foods, as much non-processed foods as possible, other than I eat like a lot of beyond meat, which is like very processed, but it's good for you in other ways, you know, gets that protein in. It's like basically same texture as, as actual meat without like having soy and stuff in it. And then uh, I eat a lot of fish, especially salmon. Salmon's like my go-to. So it's kind of a pricey go-to, but uh, I figure if there's one thing you're going to spend money on, food's the way to go. It's a good investment. You get that back later, later in life, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm on the same, I'm on the salmon train. I mean, here in, in Thailand, we, we're kind of, you know, we're spoiled. Like you can literally go down, like I was saying, Bangtown Muay Thai is just around the corner, but we have like Thai fishermen that will just, pull up and you can buy like giant red snapper literally off their boat and they'll like they'll dice it up for you and put it together it's we're spoiled in that sense but um wh when did you kind of go to pescatarian and move away from meat um 2013 i started with vegan um i you know i mean you know how how i you know how i grew up we grew up beside one yeah. another right so my dad's a big meat eater. My family's all big meat eaters. My dad's whole side of the family's all farm boys. So a big farm family. So like, you know, big piece of red meat was, was pretty common at dinner. And uh, I was dating a girl in college and she was like, well, I think we should watch this, uh, this animal cruelty documentary. I was like, just so you know, I'm not going to stop. Like it's, it's a part of who I am. That's, that's the way it is. And we finished the documentary. And I was like, dude, I don't know if I can eat meat anymore. Like that <laughs> stuff is messed up. Like it worked. Yeah. They got me with it. They totally got my ass. Yeah. yeah. And then the next night we watched, I don't remember what that documentary was called, but the next night we watched Forks Over Knives, which is just about uh, plant-based living. And uh, so I was like, you know what? There seems to be a lot of like health benefits. There seems to be a lot of, you know, plus side to it so i tried vegan for a while but i just got too skinny like i fight it welterweight now i walk around at 85 90 185 190 and i was like i was getting down to like 160 on the vegan diet i was like dude i can't do this anymore like i'm way too skinny i was constantly lethargic just like constantly eating and it just wasn't staying on me so i added eggs back in eggs and dairy first so after like eight months i added like eggs back in another six or eight months i added uh, fish back in and I didn't waste any time I went hard right off the bat and went sushi first fish meal back in I'm like yeah. I'm gonna be sick it, it is what it is man like yeah and it's uh I, I mean it, it, by I was gonna ask that because a lot of guys that do promote it like Nate Diaz he's he's 100% vegan uh Bobby Green was just on Rogan uh on the last episode and he was talking about the the one of the biggest benefits is when you're plant based, vegan based, or even pescatarian. It's the it makes the weight cut that much more easier. Do you find that to be true? Yeah, I find like weight falls off me pretty quickly, like especially once I start restricting. Like I didn't start restricting my calories until maybe a, a week before the fight or a little bit longer, like maybe the Saturday before. Like I was even fight week, I was still eating a lot. Like I got the, the meals from the UFC. I was like, dude, there's no way I can finish all this. I, there was like just an ungodly amount of sweet potato in yeah. the meals. They could for me like big pieces of salmon. I was eating, like I was full fight week, which is unusual for me. Um, and the weight came off pretty easily. Like, uh, you know, didn't cut a ton of weight, took like maybe a little over two hours because our our little sauna thing wasn't working super well, but uh, 
yeah, it wasn't too bad of a cut. I mean, I wouldn't want to have to do it twice a week, but no. you know, every once in a while, it's not too bad. And what about your like peers at Alpha Male? Um, I know you weren't training there for that this fight camp, but let's say like you t uh, Touchy Feely uh, has a fight coming up as well. The question is like your peers at Alpha Male are they also following this diet? So is it make that easier or is it make it more difficult? No, um, there are some guys that follow different restrictive diets. Some guys, you know, my my roommate Hector Fajardo, he's uh, he does keto. And then I know some guys do vegan, some guys do this, some guys do that. Um, yeah, no, Feely's just on whatever trifecta sends him. He's on that diet. Um, actually, just found out the other day I'm cornering Feely for this fight, so super excited for that that's been kind of one of my focuses this week it's funny like after a fight or leading up to a fight you're like dude i can't wait for the fight to be over just so like for a few days i have absolutely nothing to do i can just sit around and watch tv and hang out and like as soon as we got back from florida i'm just like okay how can i fill my day up so it's been like a bunch of interviews and then i'm like studying fights and then i heard from feely i'm cornering i'm like okay well we're gonna learn everything about your opponent and i'm giving him like video breakdowns and taking videos of like me watching him i'm like see where he does this this is where we're gonna capitalize like mm. a bunch of stuff and then go to the gym today i'm like damn this really has not wound up being like a super relaxing week i just turned it into a full-time job anyway <laughs> so like i'm assuming what you had a solid 48 hours of r and r and then the brain just went firing dude i i showed up at adrenaline today i didn't message any of the guys before i went i was like dude i'm tweaking at the house i need to come out and do something like and uh and and mark hopnick was like yeah man jump in and i threw on uh I threw on my sauna suit. I'm like, I need to get a good sweat. I need to get like this energy out of me. So I was just pouring sweat by the end. Mark's like, dude, I'll hold mitts for you. It's like, oh, that's awesome. And I, I didn't expect that. I thought I'd come in and like shadow box and hit the bag. That would have been, that would have been awesome. But he's like, no, man, I'll hold mitts for you. Just like put me, put me, put me through it. Nice, nice hard mitt session. And uh, so that, uh, that, that brought me back down a little bit to where I wasn't uh, freaking out so much, but uh yeah, no, not a lot of the guys follow uh, that diet in particular. Um, most of the guys on the team, I would say, at very least like the higher level guys, eat quite well most of the time. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I've never found it like difficult to, I've never really been around other vegetarians or vegans or pescatarians or anything. Like my, my girlfriend is a vegetarian, so is her family. I'm at their house right now in London. Um, but other than that, I don't really know too many people that that don't eat meat but I, I don't find it like a difficult thing to to stick to it's just yeah i mean i think it especially nowadays and and, pro and probably living in california your options are there i mean let's say you take a guy like i don't know bryce mitchell living i think he's in nebraska or omaha i mean it, it to 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 be vegan would probably be quite difficult living in these areas but california i mean you you have the options right um oh, yeah. so I was, I was going to ask that question of, of more uh, on, on your energy side and you have to release and you're, you're following, let's say, these atomic habits. Um, yeah. With that being said, I do remember like you as a kid, and, and people probably don't know this, you're literally my neighbor. I was probably, uh, probably 10 and you were 5. And, and I, the first time we spoke after your Cage Warrior fight, I explained this to you on the phone. I said, I remember you as a kid. As a kid even though I was 5 years older, you would still be like, you would give me a go. Like if we were fucking around in the background, you probably can't or in the backyard if you can't remember. I'd be like, this kid. And I said, I don't know if I can say this. I'm like, this kid has fucking retard strength. <laughs> I actually said that like as it came back to me, because I remember like you had so much energy as a kid and 
you would try to play hockey with us. You weren't the best, but you're still young. But like you had this heart that like if you were losing, you would either like attack us or like I just re- kind of remember like you just wouldn't give up and you had that extra go because um, I remember you were being babysit by Catherine and, and Chris Hayes back then. And, and that's how like we would all come together. And I was just the older shithead that would fuck around with the younger kids. Um, what the, the point of this question is, does that, did that energy kind of like, you know, carry over into your MMA career career? And did the MMA and martial arts become like an outlet for that high output of energy? 100% that like, I was that kid, like you're saying, like I, I was always a ball of energy. I growing up was super competitive. Like if I didn't win in every gym class, like it would, I'd still want it the rest of the day. Like I'm competitive now, but as a kid, I was definitely more competitive than I am now. Like there wasn't a physical challenge that I, I didn't care about. It was like, I had to win everything. And so not only that, not only was it competitive, but I was like that Tommy tryhard kid where it's like, Oh, you're bigger than me or whatever. I'm like, I don't care. I'm going to bulldog my way through it. And I think like, as I got older, that kind of turned that fueled like kind of anger you know, that energy started turning into like anger as I started getting a little bit older and martial arts kind of came into my life at a perfect time where that ended up being an outlet that guided me away from being angry. Like you can't, you know, as a, as a kid, I mean, no one can, but you can't challenge your martial arts instructor to a fight. Cause you're pissed off. Like he's going to beat your ass. And like, that's not the etiquette of, of the academy and you start learning that. And so you start having to like, recognize that that's something that needs to be addressed and kind of through just learning how to control your body physically it it helps you learn to control your mind and your emotions a little bit better you're tired and and you've been smacking things all day so by the end of the session like you're not as angry so it just kind of helps settle you like I really do think martial arts saved my life like I don't think I was necessarily on like the worst path but I wouldn't have liked to have seen where my life went with the direction of like how my emotions and anger and rage were going. Like it yeah, was, I think I, it gives you that discipline as well. Martial arts where it kind of puts your, it, it puts the ego in check because when you're, like you said, when you're in these, uh, I know you started off doing Taekwondo, but when you're coming off and you're just starting into the martial art and there's about, you know, 20 kids in the kids, you know, a couple years ahead of you, or just even your own, you know, teacher, there's that reality you're not going to win instead of like the gym class where it's like, fuck, I can beat these kids. But in those situations, it's you're in check. Yeah. 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 Oh, for sure. It's like, yeah, this is not going to end well. I can try. Yeah. And like, even more so it's like, if I do flip out, I can't come back here. And I know that, you know, and I want this, like, I love this. And when I first got into it, it was specifically to learn how to fight, but it, it, it grew from like, just, learning, wanting to learn how to fight to be like a tough guy into like having a true love of martial arts. Like whether, you know, there will be a day in the next five to 10 years or so that I'm, I'm done competing in MMA, right? I'm going to have to retire, but martial arts will be a part of my life for the rest of my life in in some respect. A a lot of fighters, they have different motivations of uh, how they got into martial arts and MMA um, some stories will be, it was for the money and they just, they, they came up, you know, uh, not as well off and, and 
that was their motivation to get into it. Others, it was they were bullied. Um, I've had um, famous uh, uh, Muay Thai fighters that fight in one championship, and his name was Magnus An Anderson, and that was his motivation to get into Muay Thai. And he said he was bullied in school a couple times, and he decided to go learn Muay Thai to protect himself. What was your motivation that kind of um, attracted you to towards that uh, initial Taekwondo, would you call it a dojo, I guess? Sure. I think it was partial. I, I think it's what we were just talking about. Like you said, I was like that tryhard kid. I was kind of the, the bulldog competitive kid. And I was athletic growing up, right? Like I, I loved competing in sports and I usually did well, but I was always kind of the runt of the friend group, right? Like of my school year, I was always, for some reason, I was always the second smallest boy in my school uh, for my age group, um, regardless of which school I went to. Um, <clears throat> but eventually like <clears throat> that try hard wasn't enough. You know, when I was grade seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, like I didn't hit five feet tall until ninth grade and I didn't hit a hundred pounds until 10th grade. So I was a really small kid. So it got to the point where like, I could try as hard as I want and I could have the strength for my size. But like when I'm I played football in seventh grade and had to lie and say I was 80 pounds to play football, but I was like 74 pounds. So I just I was like, yeah, I'm 80. And they're like, okay, cool. But I was like, I wasn't big enough. And we had, we had our entire offensive line other than our center was, um, was over 200 pounds. So it's like, you've like men sized boys, like 11, 12, 13 year olds. And then me basically like a large toddler, like it, like I'm not tackling any of these guys. Like it doesn't matter. And then same with like sprinting and same with hockey. Like I just started not being able to compete with these kids that were like 30, 40 pounds heavier than me and eight inches taller. It's like, these guys are hitting puberty. These guys are like becoming men. And I'm still clearly a little boy like that, that like discouraged me from wanting to compete in sports because I kept losing and I didn't have the maturity to check my ego and be like, look, man, you don't have to win every time. I was like, no, I have like second place is not good enough. I remember coming in second in cross country in eighth grade and it broke my heart. Like I was so competitive. And so then I, I felt like I wasn't able to compete at these higher levels. And like, so I, I, it just like, again, fueled that kind of rage, um, which as a smaller kid who, who had anger issues and again, wasn't competing as highly in, in sports, like that led to me being bullied a little bit too, where it was like, I was just kind of a spazzy kid, you know, like I, I had that like try hard in me, but I didn't have any outlet for it. So it just became me like flying off the handle whenever. And so people are like, Oh, we'll get a reaction out of this kid easily. Yeah. Like, yeah. You're right. Like I'll fight you right now, but I'm 80 pounds. Like I can't hurt you with everything I got. Like, so I just was like, I was like putting myself in that corner in a lot of ways that I didn't recognize it. And, uh, and so martial arts was a great outlet for that, but also it was just like a passion of mine. I remember the first fights I saw on TV, um, Loden Cade versus Nate Corey and Vitor Belfort versus um, Marvin Eastman. And I remember seeing it on TV. I think I was at my buddy's house on Megan street, Chris May's house or something like that. And uh, I watched these fights and I was like, dude, what the fuck is this? Like, this is unbelievable. I've never, like, I didn't know this was a sport. You can just get in a cage and beat the shit out of a guy and people will cheer for you. I'm like, sign me up, man. Let me do that for a living. So 
yeah, it just really spoke to me. I, I couldn't get it out of my head after that point. After the first time I saw it, I was like, I've got to find a way to do that. Um, we did a Krav Maga class in, in ninth grade um, in gym class. And after that, I, it, like the, the, I'm sure the instructor I just saw that I was like trying hard. And he's like, oh man, you seem like a natural. But in my head, I was like, Oh, I am a natural. Like yeah. I knew I could do it. I'm going to be a world champion. Like, so I signed up for a martial arts at, at, at a martial arts gym in Waterdown, like the next week and just, you know, started going pretty good. Where was that a uh, Taekwondo studio in Waterdown located? That was uh, Brown's martial arts. So it was on um, mill street and they moved to, I think it's like Griffin uh. street or something like that. It's right beside the American house. Yeah, was that that little martial arts studio? And then to the right of it was like our town hall? No, that was Frank's. Okay, yeah, I remember seeing that like as a kid, yeah. They're like right across from one another. So there were two to choose from. There was Frank's Karate or Brown's Martial Arts Taekwondo. And I went to Brown's. Um, I went to, I took Taekwondo just for like four months one summer because I was a little shithead too as a kid. And my mom just was like, all right, put him in, let him go get his ass kicked. <laughs> And, uh, but it was beside the, remember the byway in the bowling alley? I don't know if you, maybe. Yes. Yes. So that was owned by a guy named Dennis. He sold it to the Browns. Okay. So Dennis, Dennis was my trainer for a summer when I was, I don't know, maybe I was eight or nine. I can't even remember. Um, so Dennis sold it to the Browns and then it went over to mill street. Yeah. Yeah. That became Brown's martial arts. Okay. And what he was. Jason was one of was one of Dennis's students, and he like took over the the academy. I think. Okay. Yeah. I rem- all I remember from that those classes was like, they they really made you as a kid enjoy it because they the first like lesson was like running, flying kicks, and you thought you were like at a street fighter or something. Like you had no idea. <laughs> You're like nine years old. You don't know what the fuck's going on. Um, what was, what was the major like milestone for you when like martial arts clicked in terms of your training? Was it during Taekwondo or was it, uh, later in your career? No, I, I mean, I really enjoyed it in high school and I studied it as much as I could, you know, like the internet wasn't like the internet was around, but like YouTube wasn't really a thing when I was in high school. It was, you were just starting to get like cat videos and music videos on YouTube and stuff at the end of high school. So there was, by the end of high school, there was one jujitsu streaming thing it was called like submission 101 and they just showed the most outrageous submissions and that's what i thought jujitsu was was just who knew the most outrageous submissions like couldn't have been further from the truth but i had a couple of textbooks i had a 10th planet book and a ken shamrock book and then jason brown had a bj penn book and we just kind of like looked through those and drilled techniques and stuff um i did some tournaments and did quite well in high school um for the jiu-jitsu and then i did some kickboxing fights like waist up kickboxing fights and did pretty well in those too but for the jiu-jitsu side your training was purely like uh like taught self-taught i mean pretty much we had a judo instructor for a few months but for the most part it was like what i was seeing on tv what i was finding in like these few textbooks that i had and then just trial and error at the gym um yeah, I remember for me, like my, what introduced me to the UFC, it was like UFC, like one or two or three, I can't remember. It was definitely the the Hoist Gracie fight where he was just like, you know, going in crazy submission matches with everybody. I can't recall exactly which one, but it, I remember it was from the Jumbo video. If you remember Jumbo video. Yeah. And, yeah, the popcorn, 
the popcorn man. And you, you know what was the worst part? I should I shouldn't tell you this, but my 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 friend's older brother used to be like, yeah, we would just go in there and spit in that popcorn all the time. I'm like, you fuckers. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh. I know. Dude, I love that fucking popcorn. That just ruined my childhood, man. <laughs> I totally ruined your childhood. Yeah, but me. Your parents to take you to Jumbo Video on Friday, get a bag of popcorn. And yeah. Movie, that was the shit. Yeah, so that popcorn, yeah, older kids are spitting in that. So, anyways, I found that out way later. Anyways, not a big deal. But I remember that when they closed down, they sold all the VHS tapes of like WrestleManias, the Royal Rumbles, uh, and a bunch of the UFCs. I actually still have them in my mom's closet back in Canada where it's like a giant box of like, I just, when they sold them all, I went and bought them all. I bought, I remember watching some WWE or WWF at the time at your house. Yeah. yeah. It was with Dane. I remember like, he was like, dude, this is Kane. He's the undertaker's brother or something. I was like, (laughs) I don't know who these guys are, but cool, man. Like, all right, I'm in, let's go do it in the backyard. Yeah, that was like, that was my, up till about, I think, 12. And then it like, it wasn't cool anymore. But it's funny, it seems like WWF for like, even our gen, I'm only, I'm probably five years older than you, this generation, like, it's kind of made a comeback. Like some of the friends from high school, they're still watching it. And I'm like, wow. A bunch of my friends are super into it, man. Like, yeah. I don't know. I can't, I can't get into it. I really, I can't. I tried to like turn it back on. I kind of after that stone cold rock era, that was pretty much it for me. Um, my last opponent just fought a fucking WWE guy. Did he? Mickey fought CM Punk. Oh, but like, oh, originally when CM Punk came into the UFC and, but he put him in his place. CM Punk didn't do too well. No. Cause, and then I remember CM Punk ended up, I, he went on to fight someone else and the guy was beating him, but he wasn't finishing him. And then Dana White thought that he was maximizing his television time and he's never been back. He's never had a fight since. Well, that, yeah, that was, I think his name was Mike Johnson. His only other fight as a pro was against Mickey Gall. And it was basically a guy that they let Mickey could beat up so that they could sell Mickey versus CM Punk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he's like an MMA reporter or something. Yeah, I remember watching CM. I see that CM Punk was even after my generation. I do remember him coming in. My my, because the UFC, it's in for me. It came in through waves. Like I remember UFCs like one to four, whatever you could get at Jumbo Video, and then it just disappeared. And then I didn't watch it again until the Ultimate Fighter season one. And it, I specifically remember it was because of that. Uh, uh, Stefan Bonner and Forrest Griffin fight when everyone threw it on the TV. Like you're, I just remember getting a call like, yo, turn on this channel. I think it was Spike or something at the time. That's what was the second wave because there was this wave when like you had like Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz, Tito Ortiz, but like it wasn't really, it was very hard to find on TV. I, and then the, the, fine, the next wave after that was when Brock Lesnar came in. And then that kind of hooked me. But then things kind of went quiet after that because the UFC, it's not like it was putting on an event every weekend, right? So it's like you'd watch one and then it'd be gone for a month, it seemed. And then you kind of just like, and and you didn't really have the internet to understand like what were the rankings, who was who, what were the divisions, what was going on. Unless you are, I think, actually a fighter in 
like the sport, it was almost impossible to know what the fuck was going on. Did you have that same experience or were you super connected at a young age to be able to follow consistently? I was like a super fan as a kid. So I would sit like in high school, I'd sit on like my spare period or when like we'd go on the computers and I was supposed to be doing work. I'd like go on UFC.com. Like I think UFC.com was actually my homepage on my laptop. Like I set that for like my home, my home screen. So I could just go on. Like there was a point when they, I think probably they had like 80 fighters on the roster, right? Like they didn't have a, a deep roster, but I knew everybody. I know who everybody fought. I knew who they were fighting next. I knew who they fought first. I knew what their mom's maiden name was. Like I could have found their passwords out. No problem. Like I knew all the information about all these guys. Like I was a super fan. So when they'd have only like 10 fights a year, it'd be like six weeks in between. So when it would come to fight night, like I had all the info on all these guys. So I was like obsessed with like the first fight of the night through the end of the night, which like now I'll watch cards, but there's so many that there's like, there's like a thousand guys or 800 guys on their roster. Like, I don't know most of the people that fight for the UFC now while I'm still a huge fan and a fighter, but like, I, I don't know the UFC fighters to the same extent that I used to. Yeah, I'm sure if some ga- if there was gambling back in the day, you definitely could have made some cash back then. For sure. I, I <laughs> done you definitely could have been a bookmaker at the age of 14. 15-year-old kid with a lot of cash. Yeah. Oh, wow. So how, how did you watch it back then? Were you able to stream right off the UFC website? or I can't even remember how you could watch these fights. So, I mean... back in the day they were all pay-per-views right and then they did the ultimate fighter and then they'd have like the ultimate fighter finale every once in a while and that was like the only free ones they'd have um so first off um the ultimate fighter three was on wednesday nights at 9 p.m and i was nowhere but my couch in the basement on 9 p.m on wednesdays so i didn't miss an episode of that season i was obsessed with it um but like even through high school until I was like 16 or something, like I had fairly strict parents. I wasn't allowed to watch MMA in the house. Like I wasn't allowed to watch UFC, even though I was already kickboxing. Like I had one fight at that point. I was kickboxing, I was doing jujitsu, but it was like, my parents were like, no, it's too violent. And it's, you know, it's this and that. So, you know, they, they wouldn't let me watch it. So I'd have to like wait for them to go to bed or like sneak into the basement and like turn on the ultimate fighter and like change the channel. Like I was watching like some porn or something yeah. when I came downstairs, you know, just like I'd watch, I'd, I'd change the channel or I, I'd go to Blockbuster and buy like the DVDs. Like that was like my only thing I spent money on was like got past the point of like CDs and was just like, Oh, all I wanted. So did you have to wait for the, them to come to DVD to be able to watch like a previous pay-per-view or were you able to, obviously you couldn't buy them then live at that point. Cause it's going on the parents' telephone bill. Well, no, I still would buy them. I'd still do it anyway. So what, like, what was the trick? I don't know. I think I just was like, hey, I, I, I bought, I think I was like, my, my dad wasn't as strict about it. So I'd just be like, hey, dad, uh, I bought some on pay-per-view. Uh, I had a friend over uh, to watch. Here's 40 bucks or whatever it was at the time. He's like, oh, okay. But my mom was the one that was really like, no, you can't watch that. And it would come in like, yeah, I don't know. Like it, it was, it was a funny, it was a weird, like, I think I eventually brought it up where she's like, don't be watching that in the house. I'm like, mom, I've fought already. I have kickboxing fights. Like I've been punched in the face for sport. Like, do you not realize that like, 
I'm doing like the junior version of the song. Like the damage has been done. I'm already obsessed with it. I think that was like at the point where she's like, like I never talked back to my mom ever. I still don't like yeah, out yeah. of respect yeah. and fear of my parents, but like yeah, just <laughs> the fear of, of Merman just, you know, <laughs> whooping my ass for that. But uh, um, yeah, no. Uh, yeah, I think finally they got to the point where they're like, okay, I think he's right. Like the kid's done jiu-jitsu tournaments. He's had kickboxing fights like he's clearly obsessed with it he's not i'm not a bad kid like he can he can watch it in the house and were they ever concerned like obviously well your your brother's uh, uh playing for winnipeg so going into high level hockey there's definitely issues with concussions but i think in general hockey players are were quite safe mma martial arts is a different story was there any concern from your parents for that where they wanted to sit you down and talk to you and be like hey there's some serious repercussions that could happen later in your career and and we're a bit concerned or were they kind of you know all in on it or or maybe they were just uneducated to understanding that as well oh no no there it was it was difficult for a while my mom because your mom's a nurse so clearly she she knows it but then a couple of years uh, well it would have been about a while ago now it would have been like six years ago now um my mom was skating and she fell and hit her head and got a bad concussion and it messed her up for like at least a year i want to say like close to two years she was dealing with the the head trauma issues and so you know because of the concussion she was way more like she'd get more emotional um so we, we'd be on the phone talking and she's like I just don't want you to go through this and it was like it got to the point where like I couldn't call home from Sacramento without knowing I'm gonna like have I'm gonna have my mom ask me like how much longer are you gonna do this and it just like made me not want to call home anymore um it was like it was like a, a weird time with that and it was right before I decided to stop anyway I think that maybe was like kind of a factor it was one of the straws it wasn't necessarily the straw that broke the camel's back but it was certainly um it was certainly a factor um but i just you know in coming back to fighting i understand the repercussions a lot more i understand my own mortality and and how you know i'm not invincible more so than when i'm you know, when I was 20 and I'm like, oh, well, I'll fight forever and I'm never going to die. And this and that's like, all right, man, there's an end of a career. There's, there's a life after fighting. Like I know what the, what the consequences are. I know what the risks are. I'm going to take them in a calculated way, but I'm, I'm still going to compete in the sport. Yeah. Because most like uh UFC fighters, I mean, you have your, your rare cases, like your, well, you're obviously Cody. Uh, he got in at a, at a very young age. Um, but the, the, let's say like, it's almost like the, the average career uh, length or longevity for a fighter is pretty much no different than like a linebacker, let's say, or, or a running back, just, just because of the high intensity. How long do you see yourself like, uh, have you laid out your career path? Like, do you see yourself, okay, probably four years, five years, that's ideally when myself in this division could, you know, part ways. And, and what are the next steps for you? Are, are you planning that out? Um, I mean, I'm thinking about it, but I'm not making any calls that I can't make right now. You know, like I mentioned, I was like a late bloomer. I wasn't done physically growing until it's probably like 24, right? Like I was still fighting at featherweight when I was in my early twenties. Now I'm fighting at welterweight. Like that just goes to show how I've like physically matured in the last few years. Um, so that mixed with having taken three years off of head trauma, I, I was just 
competing in jiu-jitsu and wrestling. I wasn't sparring. Um, I was just coaching striking. So I didn't really take any of that head trauma for years. So while I started fighting, like my first fight, I was 13 or 14 um, for kickboxing. There were a few years where I wasn't hit in the head at all, really, other than like wrestling and jujitsu minor clashes. So you're you feel you're still feeling like you're you're you know you're quite fresh to be able to to to, to have a long career as long as you're staying healthy. I mean, like I don't feel like I, I see some guys talk about I'm 30. So I see some guys talk about how they're 30. I'm like, dude, I don't feel like the way you're talking at all. I feel great. I still feel like I'm in my early 20s. Like I could see myself being able to fight until or into my 40s. Now, when I get to that age, will I want to? Who knows, man? I wanted to stop a few years ago. So my mentality when I go into fights, like leading up to fights, is I take things one fight at a time. Like I didn't think past Nicky Gall at all. One, because he's a badass and he's tough. Yeah. Yeah. But two, because you know, you never know what's going to happen, man. Like I, even leading up to this fight, sitting in the back and about to walk out as the curtains opening up and I hear fat lip by some 41 coming on as I walk out, my thought was fight like this is your last fight. Cause you never know, I, you know, you never know what happens health wise. You never know what happens in life. Like I could have a kid in, in a year and, and just hold my baby and be like, you know what? I just want to be around my kid. I don't want to be fighting i don't want to be we could have world war three breakout tomorrow <laughs> we could have fucking you know wave number 47 of kobe yeah, like, yeah, you never yeah. know you yeah. get hit by a car like this that could have been could have been my last fight and i hope it wasn't but if it was I'm, I'm proud of it i'm happy with how it went i'm happy with the preparation the work i put into it and the way i conducted myself before and after like based on the plan i'm laying out as far as fight like every fight's your last i'm happy with the last one I could see, I'm going to call this out here for the future. I, I mean, especially someone like yourself, proper Mike Malott, I mean, you're able to articulate yourself quite well, which um, not all UFC UFC fighters are able to do that depending on like their, their education level and, and whatnot. <laughs> I could see yourself being, as the sport grows, maybe a spokesperson or, you know, a color commentary on on, on TSN in the future hey, for UFC. Yeah, I plugged that a little bit after the fight. I talked to uh, the head of uh, UFC International. I was just like, "Hey, man, I know you got a uh, an ESPN panel for UFC. You ever want to do a TSN one? Hit your boy up." Yeah, I could see that. I mean, especially because we haven't had. Um, there's been a pretty like dry spell of bigger names coming out of Canada, and someone like yourself, the UFC could definitely push that. I mean, let's be honest. The last major name out of Canada is GSP. I mean, we, we, we've had, there was a, uh, there was a, uh, a French Canadian name guy, but he just recently lost. And I think he got, I think it, he's in the middleweight. He was actually winning and he got, I think he got uh, triangled by this. Uh, I think so. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. He was, he was winning that fight. And then I, that, I forget the guy's name. There's so many damn names. I've been following this Brazilian guy. He's the guy that beat, uh, Souza on his last fight on uh anyways yeah. uh this he's in the middle they're in the middle weight though this guy looks like a beast he's up and coming his jujitsu is just ridiculous um but yeah definitely someone like yourself there's definitely a, a gap on the you know sports casting tsn side for a, an up-and-coming canadian especially like you get these guys like you kind of fit that mold. I, I don't know if that's if that's uh, crossing the line or if that's it's uh, 
positive in that sense, but someone like Paul Felder, like they fall into these positions. Anthony Smith, they articulate themselves well. Well, we need a Canadian to represent us on that side, and you're the fucking guy, I think. Let's go. Yeah. So let's let's talk up uh, to your fight, and um, I actually... Th- this is more because I obviously I've been following you now as, as we're, 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 we're working together in a sense. Um, why did you do your training camp in Niagara? Uh, multiple reasons. One, I've been wanting to spend more time in Canada anyway, kind of since the pandemic happened and everything slowed down and you see how much life can change and how fragile life can be. Like I've been wanting to spend more time in Canada. I love home. You know, there's, there's nothing like being around your family. I love miss my family when I'm in California. I like California, but just like I, I, I'm homesick when I'm there, you know, so I've been wanting to spend more time at home. Um, I'm my girlfriend in Canada now. Um, but the biggest reason is the, is the level of competition and training partners in Southern Ontario has stepped up significantly in the past few years. And people are starting to train together a lot more like Niagara top team has created like a kind of a super gym or super team around here where a bunch of different gyms get together a couple of times a week, usually at Niagara top team. And then they themselves have a solid stable of fighters, especially guys close to my weight, 55, 170. And then Aaron Jeffrey is a world-class middleweight. He was basically my main training partner for this one. So I've got, you know, high level coaches throughout Ontario. That was, that was never an issue. Always high level coaches here. But the big thing is like, I'm not having to jump around to 15 different gyms. I'm, I've got my main gym Niagara top team. And then I've got my head striking coach, Alan Halmagen. I train with him a couple of times a week, either on mitts one-on-one with him or with a striking training partner. And he's got eyes just on me and he's running drills for us. And then I've got my jujitsu coach and training partner, Andre Grambois, who's structuring all of our jiu-jitsu practices for me for my growth for my opponent things that he thinks will work well things i need to improve on so everything is like very tailored to me while also having the like big room of of guys to compete with so it's like i have my super hard sessions where i'm going to war and wrestling jiu-jitsu sparring striking whatever and then all of my sessions that aren't that are purely based in in development and growth like coaches eyes on me and one other person or our group and one other group and it's and it's to work on the things that i need so it's like nothing is just like a, okay go in and try hard for a session workout type thing it's all really structured so i didn't feel like there was one single wasted training session that whole camp not that there are wasted training sessions in sacramento those are great sessions too um but you're getting the attention that you like as well. And that's important. It's, it's almost like, are you going to school with a class of 30 kids or do you have a private tutor? That's exactly what yeah, it feels yeah. like. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, I, I did some time down at uh, alpha male for that camp. I'm heading down for a little short trip at the end of this month. Like that's still my team. Those are still my boys. I'm just spending more time in Canada than now. How are you going to structure your career now moving forward? Are you going to continue to be like a, a coach at Alpha Male? And, and obviously that was paying the bills. Or are you now 100% focused on this fight career? It's kind of like worked out in the way where I didn't really have to make that decision. Like um, some of the guys I was coaching, like I was coaching Cardi, Cody Garbrandt. And now he's 
living in Vegas and some of the other guys that I, I was coaching have either moved on or working with like coach Joey now and the classes I was running at alpha male are now being run by uh, uh, Guillerme world-class Muay Thai coach and, and MMA fighter. And uh, so it kind of like right as I was like taking my foot off the pedal for coaching, like new people came in to fill those roles or like some of the guys that required the majority of my coaching attention moved away or found another coach. So it kind of like was a perfect exit point to like, mm-hmm. I haven't like really at any point stopped being a coach. They're like said, I'm like, okay, I'm done. It's just like, I'm not there as much anymore. I, I, I still, I'm super happy to help guys. Like I said, I'm coaching, uh, cornering one of my best friends, Andre Feely, uh, at the end of the month. So going down to help him. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, I'm, I'm definitely more of a fighter now I'll help now that especially I don't really like need the money. It's like, I can do it for, for the love of it rather than like, Hey man, I know we're friends and I'm like cornering you, but can you like give me some money? Like it's yeah. like a weird thing to be in, you know, it's like, I don't want to be like that. I just want to be able to help my friends. Cause I love fighting and I love my friends. And uh, I like the journey. Like, dude, I've, I fucking love going to fight week fight weeks. The shit I'm going to fly to, I'm going to fly to Vegas. I'm going to go hang out with my, some of my closest friends in a hotel and go to the PI and go see other training partners throughout Vegas and challenge myself against guys and corner my, one of my best friends in a high level fist fight on TV. Like, dude, sign me up. Like what else would I rather do? That's awesome, man. Yeah. These, um, I think I was, I, I wrote to you quickly about this. We haven't spoke about that. You have guys like, uh, Raphael, uh, Fiziev. He was, a and Brad Riddell, they were the Muay Thai, uh, Muay Thai um, instructors at Tiger Muay Thai. And they had a similar transition where they got to the point where they were making enough uh, you know, money to be able to survive off living off the UFC instead of having to be that trainer. And now look at them. And I was saying that I have a feeling you fall into that pocket and can absolutely easily jump into the top 10 it's that ability to go from being the coacher to the fighter and it's like anything in life when you're teaching something that you're an expert in you're going to like 10 times your ability in terms of that skill because you've been teaching it for so long um do you see yourself like and i mean i guess that's just tooting your own horn though but i mean that that experience of being the teacher now becoming the fighter and that's full your your full-time career um, how beneficial is that going to be for you and, and that career path that you chose? Because it's a bit long-winded, but to go back, it's like you didn't take, well, you started off taking the fighter to teacher back to fighter route, but I I personally feel like that route of going teacher to fighter is probably even more beneficial. Yeah, it, it was incredibly beneficial. Like, I felt like I was ready for the UFC before I started coaching, <clears throat> but I'm like, I mean, you pit 30 year old me versus 26 year old me. And it's a joke. Like it wouldn't be a competitive fight just based on maturity and, and fight IQ and having been, having just seen and, and experienced so much more, you know, I, I understand from a, a technical standpoint things so much better because I spent so much time studying I didn't want to not be able to give answers to fighters that had questions but at the same time I I I feel like it's a valuable thing being able to say like I don't know I'll get back to you like 
I don't have an answer for that. Like, let me go home and figure it out and I'll come back and we'll have a system. So like, that was my job for a few years was just like trying to dissect. Do you think the, the, the cornering of like, you know, you have a, a, a fighter, uh, one of your friends fighting and coming up, therefore you're doing the research. Is that the most important aspect of building fighter IQ? It's definitely an, an incredibly crucial aspect. If all you're doing is theorizing, you become like a great theorist. You become like a great, you have great ideas, but there's something to be said for like going in and trying something. It's like, in theory, this works really well. It's like, yeah, well, what happens when I smash you in your mouth? It's like, oh yeah, that does change some things. Like it's so, so understanding like the value of making quick decisions and not having to second guess things. So an example for me would be like how I performed on the weekend versus how I performed in that first CFFC fight you watched. I was coming off of four years of not having competed in MMA. So my decision-making wasn't as sharp as it was in my contender series fight in my last fight. And I felt the difference. I made adjustments immediately in this Mickey Gall fight when I got hit a couple of times and there were, I, I was slow to make those adjustments in my CFFC fight. I was trying to settle in. I was trying to make things too clean and trying to figure things out. I'm like, okay, how do I solve this problem? It's like, what do you mean solve a punch him in the head and get your head out of the way? Like, don't get hit and hit him. It's like, as much as you want to have that MMA IQ, that, that deep well to pull from, it's like, you're, you, you need to, you need to pick something. If you have eight choices and you're trying to decide which one it is and a guy's punching you in the face, you didn't make a decision. That was the wrong decision versus building those reactions of like, we're here, use this, we're here, use this, we're here, use this. Like just ha having the like fight, uh, that sharp, sharply tuned and refined fight experience before a fight. Yeah. I, I noticed that that first, uh, uh, cage fury fight you. And when we talked about that, you, it took a couple smacks in the face for you to kind of like tune on and be like, wait a minute, this guy doesn't respect my striking. I'm going to make him respect it. And exactly. you, you did that, uh, like classic, it's kind of a, we, I, I've done Muay Thai for maybe four years here. It's like, you know, they're throwing the leg kick, accept it and throw the right. Yeah. And like you've yeah. time, you timed that perfectly. And that, that dropped them. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. And, and when you watch it back, cause we were talking about that and I had to, I watched it back again. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what you did. You're like, he's going to throw a leg kick. I'm going to accept it. And I'm just going to throw this right down the middle and mm -hmm. boom. And because obviously when they're throwing that, that kick, they're off balance as well. So it's like, it's going to drop them on their ass. Um, I, I watched you on the area of Hawani. So the next fight, um, hopefully for you, will, as, as we're hearing, could be in Toronto. I mean, and, and what's funny is on our last podcast, you, we talked about that. So if we do a clip or a reel later, we'll try to merge these two together. Because you said, yeah, it's going to be fucking awesome if I come through. What do they call Is it ACC now? Scotiabank? I never remember. Scotiabank. Scotiabank. I'm still calling it the ACC. But um, coming through that tunnel, I mean, is when that happens, and it will, or let's say let's uh, we already live in the future. It has happened. When that fucking happens and you're coming down the tunnel, I mean, is that going to fulfill an ultimate dream of yours? Of course, man. I, you know, I, I accomplished one on Saturday, just making that first walk to the UFC. And I took my sweet time carrying that Canadian flag, listening to, you know, singing along with the Sum 41 song and just looking up in the crowd and, and trying to soak it all in without getting lost in the moment, you know, um, the next biggest check after that. So 
making the walk to the to the cage for myself and not for uh or for me and not for my fighters was was definitely a goal of mine right to get in that cage just get in is one to win that fight was another one to win by stoppage was another one the next step is to win in canada to go fight in canada win by stoppage in canada like again just even making the walk in canada will be a major check mark like yeah. super proud to perform in front of um canadians and and what will inevitably be a, a sold out scotia bank arena as, if, as long as that's sky dome i'm thinking sky dome yeah <laughs> man that would be even that'd be even sicker yeah. man in front of sixty thousand people that'd be insane yeah, dana white make that happen i mean that that would put you on the sta- same stage as uh hulk hogan and uh, ultimate warrior wrestlemania six baby <laughs> that's a stage to share with I mean, that's the most, I, I was probably, oh, you were probably one. I was six. I, I obviously didn't go, but that's, that's like maybe the most iconic WrestleMania Ho- Hogan and uh, warrior and well, Hogan obviously lost, but anyways, it's another story. Um, so talking about your bucket, bucket list of UFC check marks. And the last one you just explained was possibly, you know, coming through the ACC gates and entering the ring um, for, for that UFC fight. What else do you have on your bucket list? Again, I have I have some goals. I want a world title, right? Like that's not that's not a big secret. I want a, I want a world title. I want to hang it above my fireplace. One day I'm gonna have a nice big space for it. Once I once I've bought a house, um, but yeah, I want a world title, um, and I, I want to fight in Canada. I want to stop guys. I don't want to be a guy who like outpoints fighters and kind of pitter pats his way through. I want to be known as a guy who looked for the finish whether you get the finish every fight or not, it's not necessarily in your control completely, but that last fight I was looking for the finish the whole time. The, the you know, all my wins of the eight wins that I have, I've eight first round stoppages, right? So eight wins, eight first round stoppages. Like I'm, I don't go out there and spaz out looking for the finish. Like I don't go out there and brawl, but I want to be a guy who's technically constantly looking to end the night. Right. Like, uh, like to say, man, I'm a, I'm a chin checker and a choke chaser. Yeah, I don't yeah. care if it's, by neck or by knockout i want i want to put this guy to sleep now when choosing a fight who's making that decision is is that your your on your your business manager's side so when you're presented like you know um again bobby green was talking about a guy like sean o'malley and when sean o'malley is you know giving options to choose fights he's basically given like 15 to 20 different opponents and he handpicks them on your side, how does that work in the UFC? I don't know yet. I only know from the first fight. And the first fight I got was my manager said, how do you like Mickey Gall? Yeah, obviously. Let's fucking do it. So I don't know if there were any other options on the table. I don't know if had I said no, what what would have been next? I was I was too excited to say no. I thought that was a great matchup. I thought he was a big name. I thought he was going to bring the fight out of me, which he did. Um, and that fast tracks you. That probably fast tracks your career at least a year. At least. Yeah, I thought it was going to take me a year to get a fight like Mickey Gall. Yeah. Well, yeah. Fuck. Who doesn't know the name Mickey Gall, man? He's a beast. Like, he's yeah, fought yeah. some of the tough, you know, it's been since his second fight, he's been in the UFC. Right? Like, he's had that pressure on him for fucking six, six, seven years, right? Like, well, he fought North Northcutt or Sage. He fought him, I think, but he won that fight. And then that, yeah, that. Sage is a friend of mine, and Sage is probably the most athletic human I've ever met in my entire life. That kid is a freak, but 
Mickey was able to win that fight, you know, um, props to him. They were both young at the time. Sage was like 20 years old, but yeah, I think, yeah, Sage is in, uh, <laughs> I think he's in one championship now. I've seen him in there. I don't, I think he, but I think he lost his last fight. If I, if I remember correctly, um, it's, it's interesting cause you're, you're, you're in the welterweight division and me, I, I'm, I'm a hardcore fan. Let's be honest. Like I watch, like I'm Dana White. I pay for the fucking pay-per-views because I used to be a streamer and they, uh, it must've been two years ago where uh, it was the first Usman Colby fight and it cut out on me like five times. And I'm like, I will never fucking stream again. I'm like, that is it. <laughs> like, so, um, being, being a hardcore fan that I am at, in the welterweight division, it needs new blood. This division in the top five is it's a bit boring. So you got guys like Sean Brady coming into the mix, which I'm, I'm pretty excited about. Um, but guys like I, I have to assume Usman's got a year, maybe a year and a half left, which is pretty much just building up to the Chimaev fight. I think if he beats Chimaev, he's probably going to retire and basing that off of, off of his knees are fucked like Usman says like it's almost in, in it's unbearable for him to train so based on like your career path I don't think Usman will be there by the time you get there um that's I don't know that's a, that's from a fan's perspective and guys like Colby I think he'll still be around because of he, I mean that guy he's a beast like that guy doesn't party he doesn't drink He's like super focused. I think he can stay healthy. He could be fighting to 36 up to 40. Uh, I don't see Chemayev still being there by the time you get up to that ranking. I think he's going to be off to middleweight. There's just too much weight for him to cut. I think he's here to grab the belt and leave. That's my that's my guess. But based on it, but I don't, after that Burns fight, he's not beating Usman in my opinion. Based on like, how, how, no, based on how he went with Burns. So kind of the point of this, this monologue here is like, there's so much new fresh blood to come into the top five. I definitely think you're one of them. Um, but that top five to 15, if you go look at it, unless you're a fan, they're fucking beasts as well. Who would be your, your, your next dream fight where, you know, that you you would feel comfortable at this stage in your career potentially going against in the top 15? Top 15? I'll have to take a look at the top 15 and see where the, the rankings are. Um, <clears throat> I do have to dance around some of the names that I, especially one that I know. I, I, I know I, there's some... There's some mutual friends with one, so I can't. I, I don't want to say one, though. I, I yeah. think that would be a great matchup. But like, there are some guys that I look at in the top fifteen, and not some. I look at the top fifteen, and I'm like, I'm right. You know, I, I belong yeah, yeah. in there. I belong. I, I belong as a ranked fighter. Like, I'm not gonna rush it at all. Like again, I'm 30, so I know I don't have the longest amount of time. But at the same time, I'm 30. I'm in my physical prime. This is the time to start making that run. And if it's a long run, that's okay, man. If it takes me. It takes me six fights to become ranked. I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm more focused on doing exactly what I did on Saturday, which is building up a highlight reel. I feel like some guys are like, you know, they, they rush themselves a little bit and, and end up becoming like 500 fighters against tough guys. They're like, yeah, but I only lost to this guy, this guy, and this guy. It's like, yeah, but you now you're 500 fighter in the UFC or like your, your wins and losses are, are close and you're a decision guy. It's like you went from finishing everybody to just being like a decision fighter. Yeah. It's like, I'm not that I can't finish these guys. I definitely can, but 
let's, you know, let's just build up this highlight reel. I, I did it against a guy that's never been knocked out before, right? Mickey Gall's tough as hell. I hit him with some serious shots. The shots I hit him with that didn't drop him would have knocked out everybody else that I've, I've, I've knocked out or submitted, right? Like I've. Yeah. You're, I mean, like guys, like guys, like RDS. I mean, that guy's probably had the craziest career out of anyone in the UFC. I mean, he's fought everybody and then you get those tough de- decision fights. Um, yeah. I, I, what did I, well, let's not toot my own horn, but I, I, after that cage warrior, I, I called you going to the UFC before you called it. I remember boom, contender series. Um, awesome, awesome fight. When you choked him out, that was what? 34 seconds. My next call out is I think you're going to probably be on UFC, Toronto, ACC main card. It will be a pay-per-view. And you're opening the show against a ranked opponent. That's my that's my uh, Nostradamus call out. There it is. Let's see. We're gonna clip that back later. Um, who who that is? I don't I don't know. It's I can't even. I don't know who's ranked ten to fifteen. The only one I saw. There's some like I think it's like this Russian wrestler that's fifteen that looks a bit a bit uh, scary to me. Because you get these guys that that like let's say you're. Uh, oh, I guess you got Sean Strickland. Is he? No, he's middleweight. No, never mind. He's middleweight. Yeah. Uh, you get these guys that do cut down from middleweight um, to welterweight. That I mean, obviously, like a guy like Chimaev. So let's let's talk a little bit about that paper uh, that that card that just happened. What were your thoughts on some of those fights? Like, what was your thoughts on the Chimaev Burns fight? Who do you think actually won? How do you think Chimaev did? I mean, I was kind of watching it with my friends and family, so I wasn't paying crazy close attention to it. I was just blown away with how wild that fight was. Like how just both those guys were not willing to give an inch. I loved the fight. It was awesome to watch. Um, I thought both guys looked impressive. You know, I think some people were saying, um, you know, yeah, Chimaev, you know, we, we saw that he isn't that guy. It's like, I don't know what you're talking about, man. Like he looked like that guy still just that Burns is also that guy. Burns is one of the best guys in the world, man. He's an absolute beast. So like, is, is Shemaev invincible? Of course not. No. Of course he can get rocked. Everybody can get dropped. Everybody can get rocked. Like anybody who says like, dude, this guy can't, no one can hurt him. It's like, what are you talking about, man? You're fucking out of your mind. Like, of course, anybody can get knocked out. Anybody can get dropped. Anybody can get caught in a choke. And that's what like fuels me through fights. Like I, I constantly look for the chin. I constantly look for the neck. I constantly look for a joint. Like that's what gives me this confidence in like, in, anybody in the world if you know if they called and said we got a title shot tomorrow it's like it's against a man i can find a neck i can find a chin i can find a limb that's all i need in order to win a fight you know whether it's a a two-day notice which isn't preferable or a a, a three-month fight like it's just against a man um yeah yeah it's it's i think it exposed chamayev a bit but he i think he 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 was, uh, as his coach was yelling at him, he was just, he was overthrowing. He was too excited. He tried to turn it into a street fight with a guy like Burns, which you cannot. Like, Burns is no joke. I mean, he dropped Usman in the first round of his fight. Like, I, I, there was a point where I thought he was about to beat Usman, but then, obviously, Usman did what Usman does. Um, Chemayev, I noticed, he never took his head off the line. It was just, it's always on the line. Like, he, there was no head movement. So, like, Burns was just throwing those, like, hooks. He's always throwing that overhand right. Um, another fight I did want to talk about, and just, just to get your opinion on, do you think Aljermaine Sterling beat Petra Young? I've watched that back three times now, and I have my opinion. Uh, I had it a draw. 
Yeah. Yeah. I had it first, fourth, and fifth for Jan, and then I had 10-8 in the second and a 10-9 in the third for Algernon. Exactly. That's exactly what I scored it as as well. Um, uh, we're not going to talk shit about the judges because they might be judging you later. So <laughs> we love you, judges. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. But yeah, no, I, I agree. I think uh, uh, Jan took the first. I mean, it was all ring control. Aljo, he had him behind the line. Complete control of the center. Um, but yeah, that second round was questionable. Ten eight question. There, I thought it was over at some points. There's like three minutes left on the clock, and like he was just fighting hands. That that body lock he had is disgusting. I thought the second was more of a ten eight. Yeah, for Alge than the first was a ten nine for Jan. I thought the first was real. I, like I thought it was really close. I thought Jan was backing him up, but I thought Aljo was landing the better shot. So I could for sure see an argument for Aljo winning that first. Like, I'm not like, Oh, he, he definitely didn't like, I for sure. It really, the first really could have gone either way. I kind of was leaning more to Jan cause I was there live and it just felt like he was the one pressuring, but I really think the, the second should have been a 10, eight, like it, I don't think Jan won that fight. I think it was either a draw or a win for Aljo. Yeah, I, I agree as well. I agree. And it's hard because I'm biased because Jan's training at Tiger and I've had his... Uh, it's it's hard. For, I, I've been watching Jan since his first fight just because you get these guys that come to Tiger and then you see them up and coming. And then, like I said, Jan was fighting your... His first fight was against your Japanese. Yeah. So that's how, like, I... Dude, I cornered against him. I, I was there when they told me who we were fighting they're like let's sit down and watch this guy he's some russian guy i'm like okay let's check him out we watched the first fight and they're like so what do you think i was like who the fuck picked this fight i was like i was like oh how did we how did we get that and they were like oh uh they offered him this guy and then they were going to give yawn to some brazilian but we called the ufc and said no no, no true wants the fight i was like are you fucking kidding me dude <laughs> we could have easily not fought this guy instead you called the ufc like this is true's old manager i was like dude what the fuck i was like all right i'll tr like and in my and so out loud i'm like oh yeah of course yeah, yeah you're gonna win this fight we're gonna do this and this these are the things and like i trained him to win it i trained him as best as i could but i'm like dude fuck this is a tough fight this is i i legitimately like i remember watching him fight and i was like dude this guy'll be ranked top five in a couple of years like this is not a good fight for our guys and there he is, world champion. So guys like that, when they take that loss to 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 a champion, and, and it seems like he's he's almost left his I haven't seen him make a comeback. Was he kicked out of the UFC or is he just kind of he kind of took hiatus? Through? Yeah. Yeah, he lost one more fight, I think, to a Korean. And then now he's uh in LFA. Okay. Well, I think he fought LFA. I don't know where he's fighting now. He might be fighting in A1 um Uriah's organization. Yeah, I mean, uh, when you lose a, a a loss like that, I guess early in the career, it's how does that fight affect a, a fighter emotionally and like mentally as well? When when you know, you your zero turns to a one. Bro, I don't 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 ask me to get in the head of Taruto Ishihara, man. That dude's that dude's fucking crazy. I love that guy. That's my Japanese brother, but yeah. dude, that guy is. I couldn't tell you what the fuck's going on inside that guy's head. That's for damn sure. Yeah, he's a bit of a, it seems like he's a bit of a, I don't want to say player, but he's, I, I used to follow, I think I follow his Instagram still, but he's always with some chick every time. Dude, he's crazy, man. Not even that. I just like, he's crazy, man. 
I, I see like this, this stuff that he's up to. I'm like, bro, how do you think of this stuff, man? You're crazy. He's so far out there. I love that guy. Okay, before we wrap this up, because we got we're probably close to an hour, right? I didn't want to keep you. Yeah, I'll, see, it goes it goes by fast. I mean, maybe the best podcast host out there, but no, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> um. It's probably too early to ask this question in your career, but it's 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 always in, is this more as a fan that interests me. When you're fresh coming into your UFC career, do you start to think about the possibility of going up in weight class? And I know we talked about that before, where you're kind of just thinking about the next day. But guys like Volkanovski, he is even talking about going up a weight class now because that division he's kind of run through. Could you see yourself? Would it be easy for yourself to fit into middleweight? Not saying will you, but is that easy for you at some point in your career? No. If there's going to be a weight class change, it would be back down to lightweight. I'm not a massive welterweight. I walk around at 85, maybe 90. Like, I like if I'm going to make a change, it would be back down to lightweight, but I don't see that happening either. I'm really happy with welterweight. I wouldn't mind putting on a little more weight for the weight class, but... I, you know, I, I don't see, I don't have any desire to go to middleweight at this point anyway. Like who knows what the future holds. Maybe I bulk up a bit. Maybe I, you know, once I get that title, want to go up in weight, yeah. but right now I don't. I don't yeah. Cause those guys, they're probably, they're probably walking around at two. I mean like Paulo Costa is probably walking around at like 215, 220. Paulo Costa is not a middleweight. Get out of here, man. No, he's light. He's light heavy, right? <laughs> yeah. You missed, missed weight by 20 pounds. You <laughs> like classes. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, I know that. I, I heard that he, uh, Dana wasn't going to, he's not going to let him fight light or fight middleweight anymore. He's just like, you can't like not cut that much. And he still lost to Marvin Vittori. Yeah, well, Vittori's a beast, but yeah, like, yeah. he looked way bigger than Vittori in that. Yeah, 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 it was a, it was a light heavyweight versus middleweight. But he will never survive at light heavyweight. He's he's a small light heavyweight. Yeah, I mean he, he's he's a high level guy, man. I mean he was able to he's able to beat Yoel Romero. Like, let's see, let's see. I, I'm just stay up at light heavyweight, man. If you're cutting really that much weight to where you have to cut to two hundred six and and miss middleweight by twenty pounds, just stay at light heavyweight. See how you do, man. Who do you think are the, the the biggest weight cutters in the welterweight division? In my opinion, would be, I think, maybe the biggest guy in that division. Well, besides Chimaev, just because he just he looks big. I would say, like, Usman's got to walk around at 200. Like, he just looks like a fucking beast. I've never met him outside of camp. Or outside of, I've only met him when he was, like, on weight. I saw him at weigh-ins once. So, obviously, like, he looked like a 170-pound man because he was, like, 170 pounds at the time. Um. Yeah, I don't know. Couldn't tell you, man. Okay. Um. Oh, one last uh, one last thing I wanted to bring up. Maybe we we can. What what uh, do you want to talk about? MRI? Are you allowed to talk about that? Or. Um. Yeah, appreciate them helping me this camp. That was awesome, man. So we'll call it. It's actually it was called Marshall Rogan in you. Now it's called Marshall in you. It's a a cryptocurrency coin. They're not paying me to say this. I uh, I threw some money at it, so I thought I'd ask. Uh, we talk uh, talked about that before. Um, your so they they've helped you out. Maybe just talk a little bit about that. What they've done. What they're all about. Yeah, I mean they've they've helped out a lot of fighters, in, including me. Um, just uh, they're they're crypto coin they're they're using a lot of their marketing expenses and and uh everything's going toward fighters so uh 
they're doing a lot for the fighters. They just did that. Uh, they kind of matched the UFC's like crypto bonus type thing where they gave out. I can't remember what the amount. Yeah, I think, think like, Burns Burns got. I think Burns got forty G's. I think Chimaev and then Mark Madsen got it too. Yeah, I was number five, unfortunately. I, I tried to I tried to pump you, but see, that's it's always going to be the issue with these these cryptocurrencies because the winners are going to be the people that have the most followers on IG. So you got to build that up quick. That's how you're going to win it. Well, made some big jumps this weekend. So. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and uh, we'll just wrap it up at this. So, what, what's next for you? You're in London uh, after you get that R and R, which clearly you've already cracked and you're not doing um <laughs> what uh what's your plan are, are you going to be sticking around in canada going back to niagara going back to alpha male what's what's your next plan over the next couple months uh so first is finish up the week here uh start going back to niagara and training with uh Corellin and all those guys um and then uh do that until i, I head to vegas with feely and then go to uh sacramento for a week see the boys corner some guys probably for the a1 fights your eye favors organization um and then go from there just haven't thought past the next few weeks yeah and i'm sure you'll get a knock on the door that, from the ufc I, that's why i'm saying i think after that knockout reel the fact that canada needs a rep just like they've kind of done with uh the uk and and really bringing up patty pimblet because well darren till's kind of went downhill a little I don't want to say downhill. He, he took the wrong fight, in my opinion. He shouldn't have fought Brunson. That's the wrong fight. But um, the UK was trying to build up. They need a, a new superstar because it opens the market up to that. I think you're that guy for Canada. So let's uh, let's keep that rolling. And um, yeah, I, I never know how to end these. But thanks a lot, Mike, for joining us. I'm sure we'll do another one after leading up to the next fight. And uh, fucking future champ. Here he comes, guys. Watch out.